Hello everyone, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Rasul. I'm one of the junior doctors working in Coventry right now in acute medicine. Uh, before this, I was doing a rotation in general surgery and um, I'd like to present a clinical case which I saw uh, during general surgery which I think might be of interest to you. So during this case, um, I'm going to talk about how I do clerking while I'm in the hospital and the kind of thoughts that are going through my mind um, as I examine patients, um, as I see the blood test results, um, how I would manage them afterwards and, uh, and basically how I compile a list of problems um, that need to be addressed after reviewing the patient um, in a systematic way. So let's imagine you're a junior doctor working in general surgery and you're called to see a patient by A&E. They've just sent a referral. This is the, all, all the information you have is that this is a 27-year-old female who's 24 weeks pregnant and she's presented with abdominal pain. Um, they've also done a referral to gynae, but a ED are also asking for a surgical opinion. The first thing you see is her OBS, which have been taken by the nurse, and her blood pressure is 118 over 72, pulse is 92, so slightly tachycardic, respirate is 19, which is within the normal range, sat to 97% on air, and her temperature is 37.9, which is slightly pyrexial. Uh, you go to see this lady, and you ask, so what's brought you into the hospital today? And she tells you, well, I have abdominal pain which started yesterday afternoon uh, after lunchtime and it's been getting worse since. She initially tried to manage it with paracetamol but now the pain is about 8 out of 10 and she's unable to keep anything down and every time she eats or drinks she just keeps vomiting and the pain is ongoing and is not controlled with paracetamol anymore. Um, the, the pain is an achy kind of pain and it's constant rather than coming in waves. There's no significant past medical history apart from the fact that she's pregnant. Um, on general appearance, she looks unwell, a bit clammy. She's a bit clinically dehydrated. Um, from a cardiovascular point of view, um, the pulse is regular, the heart sounds are normal. There's no peripheral edema and the capillary refill time is three seconds. The chest is clear, there's no wheeze or any kind of respiratory signs, and indeed we know this because the saturations on air are 97%. But the most important thing is obviously the abdominal exam. When in medical school, we divide the abdomen into four quadrants, and overall there is a general pathology associated with each of them. However, in pregnant patients, because of the presence of the enlarged uterus, because of the presence of the pregnancy, um, this can sometimes make the abdominal examination a little bit harder. Um, in this case, there is a right-sided tenderness. Um, it's difficult to really assess the quadrants, but uh, it's more in the mid to lower areas. Um, there's no rebound tenderness going on, which means there's no irritation of the uh, peritoneum. There's no guarding, which is a good sign, because if there was, then we would be worried that there is a some kind of perforation going on, and therefore this would be a, 
emergency that would require surgery immediately. Her calves are soft as well and that's basically the general overview of the physical examination. Her blood test results uh, paint an inflammatory picture uh, where the white cell counts are 13.5, the neutrophils are 9.7 and her haemoglobin is normal. Uh, Usenes are normal as well. The urea is a little bit raised to 12.5 um, and this is in keeping with the fact that she's a bit dehydrated. LFTs are normal except for ALP which is raised to 157 and CRP is 132. So from these bloods we can conclude there is some sort of acute inflammation going on which is indicative of an underlying pathological process. The elevated urea is suggestive of dehydration, but it can also be raised in patients that have upper GI bleeding. Uh, so that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, but it's not something we suspect here because she hasn't reported anything like that. So as a junior doctor, it's your job to assess the patient initially, think of what the diagnosis could be given the information you've received and begin initial management and then discusses with, with the registrar on call or the consultant afterwards. So let's identify the issues uh, which are ongoing in this patient. Firstly, from the bloods, she looks dehydrated and she's unable to eat and drink. Given that there's obviously some inflammation going on and there is a chance that she could require surgery, we would need to keep her nil by mouth, place a cannula and give her fluids um, in which case, this case, you would not need to do some fluid resuscitation as well as providing some fluids to keep her hydrated to the normal level. And this is usually done uh, with some normal salines alternating with some 5% dextrose, um, although you can look at the guidelines on NICE. So because she's dehydrated, we need to give her at least 2 litres of fluid Next up, she's been vomiting, but that seems to have settled now. Um, her risk of vomiting and aspirating is fairly low, uh, so we can avoid putting an NG tube at this point. Um, but what we can do is, on the drug chart, we can prescribe some PRN antiemetics. And uh, cyclozine of 50 milligrams three times a day should be fine. Pain. Pain is very important to manage in this case. Um, paracetamol is very effective and together with PR and Oromorph. It's important when prescribing in pregnancy to make sure the drugs are safe for the baby as well. And morphine is safe to use in pregnancy, but um, morphine is safe to use in pregnancy and a reasonable dose for somebody who is opioid naive, so somebody who doesn't take opioids regularly, would be somewhere between 2.5 to 5 milligrams orally, two hourly max. Because there's clearly an inflammatory process going on, um, we need to figure out what might be causing that. So we know that uh, the ALP is raised and ALP is alkaline phosphatase. It's an enzyme which is found in the bile canalicular cells. Um, and when there is an obstruction going on in the biliary tree that then causes those cells to become damaged and then they will re release ALP into the bloodstream. Um, 
so acute cholecystitis is one of the differential diagnoses um, but we can't be too sure until we have imaging and so the best thing that we can do in a normal situation would be to do a CT scan and that would give us our diagnosis straight away however because this lady's pregnant we will have to avoid that in order to uh, avoid exposure exposing her to radiation um, instead we can think about doing an ultrasound abdomen and to try and see what's going on um, but at the same time we need to start some antibiotics and in this case we can give some coamoxiclav so and the following morning during the ward round uh, you go around with the consultant and on examination the patient is comfortable there is pain but it's improved with paracetamol and oromorph the ultrasound scan has been done there's no sign of biliary obstruction. She does have gallstones, but there's no inflammation of the gallbladder. Um, however, they do note that they're unable to visualize the appendix. So what can we do? We know that there's something going on, so and we can't do a CT scan. So the next best option would probably be to do an exploratory laparoscopy, which is essentially a diagnostic procedure which can then be converted into a surgery if they find something abnormal going on. This lady in particular was found to have a ruptured appendix and this was successfully treated with surgery um, in, and she recovered afterwards. But to review, what can we say about the raised ALP in this case? Well, we know that ALP can also be raised during pregnancy as well. And so this is a bit of a red herring in this case because it leads us to suspect cholecystitis as well as appendicitis. So now I'd like to talk a little bit about appendicitis on the whole, do a general review. Um, it is an acute inflammation of the appendix, which is a structure that's uh, attached to the cecum, uh, the point at which the small bowel connects to the large bowel. It usually causes abdominal pain, anorexia, which means patients have little appetite. They may vomit as well, um, and it also causes abdominal tenderness. It's a clinical diagnosis most of the time, and it's supported by imaging, CT or ultrasonography, which is what we did in this case. And the treatment is always a surgical removal of the appendix. This is a condition which predominantly affects the younger population, so in the teens and the 20s, um, but in the older generation, uh, it, but, in the old, it, but in the elderly population, it can also be caused by tumours, whether they're carcinoid, adenocarcinomas, or even adenomas. The general mechanism for the general pathophysiology is that there is an obstruction of the appendix, and this can be from various different causes, ranging from a tumor, whether that's some kind of lymphoid tumor, some kind of um, cancer, carcinoid tumor, or it could be a fecalith, which is just um, impacted feces, uh, foreign body, or even an infective cause such as worms. This, when the appendix lumen becomes obstructed, this then causes distension of this whole structure, 
and together with bacterial overgrowth. And these two features together lead to ischemia and inflammation. And eventually the, the structure will become necrotic and the, there will be a perforation leading to either generalized peritonitis or something that's localized. This will need to be, this is always treated with surgery. The classic presentation, unlike this one, is a pain which begins in the peri-umbilical region, um, followed by some nausea, vomiting, and then after a few hours, the pain will then shift to the lower right quadrant, and it's worsened by cough and movement. And the classic signs um, are pain uh, in the right lower quadrant um, together with rebound tenderness located at the McBurney point. Now this is a point uh, where this is a point of junction of the middle and the outer thirds of the line that joins the umbilicus to the anterior superior iliac spine. Another clinical sign associated with appendicitis is called the Rovsing sign. Um, this is when you feel pain in the right lower quadrant over the appendix uh, when you palpate the left lower quadrant of the abdomen. And this causes pain because it causes passive extension because when you palpate the left lower quadrant, you are essentially stretching the peritoneum, which is um, inflamed, and that is the mechanism for pain. But these classic clinical findings are only found in a less than 50% of patients, which is why we rely heavily on the blood tests and the imaging for diagnosis. The, the prognosis without surgery or antibiotics has a very high mortality rate, which is over 50%. And But with early surgery, the mortality is less than 1%. And patients with the surgical protocols we have these days, with, with the surgical technology we have these days, especially laparoscopy, are fairly minimal. So with early surgery, the mortality rate is fairly low, under 1%, and patients recover quite quickly after surgery. If the appendix is perforated and we have peritonitis, then we will also need to give antibiotics uh, for a period of time until the infection has resolved. And generally, if the appendix is perforated, antibiotics should be continued until the fever and the white cell count are coming down or have normalized. But it it's, uh, depends upon the surgeon. So thank you for listening. I hope you've all benefited from this discussion um, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Also, thank you to Abdul for inviting me onto the show.